Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another thrilling edition of You Wouldn't Get It. Connor McPartland alongside younger brother and co-host Aiden McPartland. Say hi to the people, Aiden. Hello. We are recording this, Aiden. It's Sunday afternoon. The first snowfall first snow. of the holiday season. None of it's sticking hit. to the pave- pavement, nope. but it's on the grass. On this mid-November day, you think this preamble would be for a, a Christmas movie list or a Thanksgiving movie list. Nope. It's the exact opposite. We're doing a random, all-in-one-day movie there's list. No the reason, there's literally no reason for this. but There's no reason that. for it, except for the fact that with a simple Google search, one could see that there are a lot of movies that use the gimmick of taking place all in one day. Aiden, why do you love this specific subgenre of movies? It's super impressive. It's never... These movies are never boring. Like, that's the thing. A lot of the time, it's always, like, it's building up so much. And it's a lot of, a lot of the movies on here, at a certain point, I just look back and I'm like, how did, wait, how did this movie start again? I just love the way that these movies just keep going. And they're usually some of like the fastest paced movies that I've seen. And I always I always love that about them. And also, like I said, super impressive the fact that they're able to do that, like condense an entire two hour movie into the span of one day. You know, kinda sounds easy, but it's probably very difficult to do that. I mean, the fact that I mean, I was gonna make a really weird comparison, but like Zodiac is two and a half hours and that what takes place over the span of twenty years? Yeah. A long time. A very long time. And then Magnolia is longer than that, but all takes place in one day, mm-hmm. which is insane to me. Yeah, I like the feeling, too, of, of thinking, how did we get here? How did we get here? Stories are my favorite. And um, just the realization that you get sometimes that this all takes place in one day, I think, is is super cool. Um, a lot of these movies... And they're never advertised as that. They're never no. advertised as all in one day movies. You find out yourself, and then just like there's this incredible feeling it's also a very broad scope of films yeah, every um, movie does it. some of them are are very indie and uh usually take place in one setting along mm-hmm. with one in one day but action movies have used this trope horror movies have used this trope um it, it's really along all genres so like we said we're going to do a, a top 10 list here how did you construct your top 10 list because i kind of focus mine more on the all-in-one-day aspect of it that's really emphasized in these movies where you that that's kind of a main focus you do have that feeling of how did we end up here towards the end more so than picking one of my favorite movies just because it so happens to take place all in one day but maybe that's not stressed in the movie how did you go about it that's kind of the same way i went about it i kind of looked more towards like how much in one day does it take place and how much happens in that one day is how I went about making it. And obviously how much do I like this movie, but it's also a mix of me looking back. Did I know in the moment that this all took place in one day or was it only now researching it? Do I realize, Oh, this all takes place in one day. And there are a few that like, for some reason never crossed my mind. all take place in one day. Um, should we get started? I would love to get started. All right. Why don't, why don't you start us off? Aiden? what is your, what is your number 10? My number 10. This is a movie that I don't know how. I love this movie so much. I never figured out that it was all in one day. And when I found that out, that kind of blew my mind. And I already mentioned it. My number 10 is Magnolia. Oh, okay. This was, I think, the second Paul Thomas Anderson movie I ever watched Mm -hmm. after There Will Be Blood. I assumed I was going to be bored throughout the whole movie, and I wasn't. His ability to make longer movies feel so short is unmatched, I feel like, in the grand scheme of movies. And maybe his best cast. Mm -hmm. It's definitely his biggest ensemble that he's ever made. And it's insane how he was able to connect, like, I think there are eight separate stories mm. and connect them all in an incredible way. And once again, the all-in-one-day aspect of it is really crazy because you don't notice it when you're watching it. And it is all in one day. It goes from the morning to the next morning and then ends. And it's absolutely in- insane. And it's a really surprisingly weird movie. You know, when it starts raining frogs, it's kind of shocking in, a, in the best way. Yeah, this is this is uh kind of crazy. The the um three sixty this movie has kind of had from going from his Heaven's Gate, his Cleopatra, this movie that he uh the the his big epic, but the studio didn't give him any notes on it seemingly, and mm-hmm. he people thought at the time that he probably went too far. Even he now is saying that maybe he should have cut it down. Yeah, I don't think so. In all um, honesty. But I mean, this is this is like truly one of the oddest movies to ever exist in cinema history. I mean, you get 
a, a, a game show sequence in the middle of this film. You get a musical number in the beginning of this film. It is a very, it's kind of the last of the original Paul Thomas Anderson era where yeah. he's working with all these actors, where he's working with Julianne Moore and where John C. Riley yeah. and Philip Baker Hall. He has like a soundtrack. He has a soundtrack. He has a large ensemble cast, which yeah. is something that he doesn't have anymore. Now, maybe Licorice Pizza is going to be a pretty large ensemble. But, um, and then obviously, you know, Tom Cruise at the center Tom of it, Cruise. kind of the last, I think, um, not normal Tom Cruise performance, because it's certainly not normal no, performance. But, but maybe the last, oh my God, Tom Cruise. I, it's you know? the last before he goes on this action movie run. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this was also kind of a disappointment for a lot of people who wondered what if he had worked more with Paul Thomas Anderson That's in his career. That's one of my career. biggest what ifs in yeah. Hollywood. Like, what if he stuck to this? What know? if instead of Joaquin Phoenix, it's Tom Cruise who he mm-hmm. collaborates with a couple times in his movies. Yeah, this is, uh, this is I, I do defend this movie. Um, I will always defend this I think movie. It's, I, think it's, I mean, I think a lot of people think it's good, uh, but I, I do really enjoy it. It's also like everyone in the cast is doing completely opposite characters from what they're doing. Tom Cruise is playing a terrible person. And like Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's usually always playing the creep, mm-hmm. especially in Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, yeah. is like the nicest, most human person in the entire movie. Yep. Um, my number 10 is a very opposite movie from that. It's a film called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, um, I remember you talking about this movie. The original 1974 film directed by uh, Toby Hooper. Um, this is, uh, this is one of those movies that the more and more I think about it, the more and more I really like it and, and kind of realize the genius of it. I don't know if it's my favorite horror movie because it's weird. Obviously this, this is a horrifying thing to imagine somebody going through, but this isn't, uh, you know, monsters or, or or the typical, horror supernatural thing that i think comes with the genre this is uh for the first 40 to 45 minutes and it's not a very long movie it's like 85 minutes you're like what am i watching right now what horrible d minus movie am i watching with these random actors and this crappy dialogue and then you get into into the final 40 minutes of the movie and it's it's incredible and the how uncomfortable Cooper makes you feel throughout the movie with his shots um, and, and specifically the ending, which I think is one of the greatest endings in any movie ever. Um, it's all, it's all pretty incredible. I have not seen it. I was going to watch it, but then I didn't. Simple 83 minutes. Um, I, it's, it's hard to believe that they made like 11 more of these afterwards, yeah. all of which I think divert from what this movie was about. Well, that was like the thing of horror movies. You like make eleven movies, then you end them, but then you make one final chapter. It's true, but this this became a cult movie. Like yeah. this movie, I made like five thousand dollars or something at the box office. Like it wasn't a smash hit, like something like, uh, you know, a Nightmare on Elm Street was yeah. or anything like that. Um. So yeah, that's my number ten is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What is your number nine, Aiden? My number nine is Super Bad. Oh, okay. I will admit right now I have not seen Super Bad, so this is this is my one um g- uh, uh glance in pop culture is this film. But go ahead. Cook on Super Bad. Straight up one of the funniest movies I've ever watched. I don't know what else to say other than that. There isn't a dull moment in it. If if anything, I feel like honestly the movie has aged very, very well. Which I did not expect when I was going into it. There are a few like lines here and there that are just kind of offensive, or like I think they reference MySpace at one point, mm-hmm. which is just irrelevant. Like, it, yeah, which is just irrelevant at this point. But my God, when it's when Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah are cooking, it's insane how good they are. And there's so many moments that make zero sense whatsoever. There's one like story Jonah Hill is saying in uh like early on in the movie when they're in the cafeteria. It has no bearings on the movie. It doesn't come back in any way. But it had me on the floor. And that's like the best part about the movie is that every scene has at least one hilarious joke in it. It'll just make you laugh so hard. And just, it is another one of those movies where I didn't fully realize it's all in one day until like near the end. 
But then again, one of the reasons why I have it at number nine is because there is one scene at the end of the movie that does not take place at the end of the at, at, in the day. It takes place in the day after. So I cheated a little bit, but I don't care. It's super bad. It essentially counts. So two things I want to say. Um, well, three things. So one is is it's um, both kind of crazy and yet makes the most sense in the world that this movie has the reputation that it does. Yeah. Um, came across the probably the best time Absolutely. when you could make an R-rated comedy like this. It made crap ton of money. And it made a bazillion dollars because it was, you know, it, it was, it was, it was a, feeling... a huge deal. It was a huge, like the McLovin thing was a moment. Right. Well, it, it appealed to adults in a way I don't think anyone expected. And then you also had, this was kind of coming... I mean, it's years before streaming, mm-hmm. but I, a large percentage was teenagers that yeah. they were appealing to. It was specifically teenage boys, you know, yeah. with all these boner jokes and, and stuff like that. But This may be the movie of the 2000s where they, like, people snuck into the movie theater and yeah. watch it, you know? Because there are a lot of weird – there's a lot of weird stuff in the movie. Well, it's taking, it's taking the nerd trope, I think, mm-hmm. and making it in a more realistic sense. Whereas yeah. you saw these it's... movies in the 90s, like American Pie, that had these, these nerd characters, but they still ended up in the end with – Yeah, it's, it's – uh, yeah, like, yeah, it's definitely more kind of realistic than something like American Pie, but – definitely exaggerated because in this movie everybody's just enslaved to their hormones like it's insane like that's all they talk about to, to your point i mean i wanted to I, I was saving this for an honorable mention but i might as well say it now i wanted to pick book smart for this list i was also thinking that but that uh, the large percentage of it takes place the next day right there's that whole scene towards the end graduation that's on graduation and, day and the airport which yeah i mean uh, was uh, an unofficial kind of reboot sequel to Superbad yeah. in it's, some it's, ways. It's it's like sister in a lot yeah. of ways. Literally, Joan Hill's sister. Literally. Um, okay, I do have a, a film on my list that's from the same director of Superbad. Oh, okay. But we'll get we'll get to that later. Um, my number nine is a film called Empire Records. This is a movie that came out uh, in 1995 about a group of outcasts and oddballs that run a record store. I went with the obvious choice. You're going with the with the smaller. Yeah, things. that that that's on the brink of getting bought out by a by a big corporation that's going to make them wear uniforms and have timesheets and punch into a time clock and so the broad <laughs> plot of the movie really. is them trying to save the record store. Um, but you you basically just get to meet these eight characters and see a day in their lives. This I think became a cult movie. I think kind of safe to say because yeah, it, it kind was of feels like it. Yeah, it wasn't super successful at the box office. Um, the two probably biggest names to come out of it were Liv Tyler and Renee Zellweger. Um, I I just really love this movie. I think it's it's an incredible ensemble. I think the jokes in it are really good. It's it's insanely rewatchable. Like it's it's both a very easy movie to watch. Um, but also I have to wait till this scene pops up because it's so good. I I, I just really like this movie. It's such a time capsule in like a certain moment in the 2000s in terms of everything, the dialogue, the hairstyles, and the clothing. Yeah. It just brings you back in a certain way. I mean, I wasn't alive during them, but for some reason I just like feel nostalgic for that. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's perfect. It's the perfect encapsulation of, of the mid 90s era mm-hmm. yeah undoubtedly all right what is your number eight Aiden? <laughs> well 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 uh once again i might be cheating a little bit here but i don't really care my number eight is speed okay just... okay interesting yeah. all right so make make the case because some people might say yeah. well that elevator scene at the beginning is a large I portion can completely of the movie see that argument counter argument i don't care because this is speed it's one of the most enjoyable movies that i've ever watched it never stops it never stops moving it keeps going and it has some of the most quotable lines in an action movie i think of all time because there's just so many incredible moments so many ridiculous moments like the buzz jump scene is phenomenal in every way but it's so much fun to just be around people and be like there's no way that happens the bus goes up there's no way that's happening and i think this was one of the most quotable movies of like past 30 or 40 years. I guess they fell behind. Yeah. Like, that's incredible. Yep. It's phenomenal. I understand why people might be confused because that elevator sequence at the beginning is there and is 
It do, it does take a little bit. It's a, it's probably at least twenty minutes. Yeah, but it's it's speed. You so you had a good cool. argument though, which is that it's implied that that happens in the afternoon yeah. of the day, and so it could technically be a twenty four hour period by the time the movie ends. Mm-hmm. It could actually be a day. It is entirely possible. We will never know. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is this is one where you you said it to me, and I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. That's that's uh, another reason why this genre is so wide. And you could probably make multiple more lists yeah. or have a top one hundred list uh, because there are so many films that can that can qualify here. Um, yeah, a, a truly ridiculous film so in fun. concept. Yeah. That turned into an insanely rewatchable movie. I, rewatching it every time it's on TV, we rewatch it because I think everybody does that. Yeah, and I think I'm starting to lean towards. I actually think Keanu Reeves is pretty good in that movie, like kind of genuinely. Oh, I think he is good, good too. Yeah, because like I think he is. Yeah, it's like literally the first line he says is when uh they're in the uh, they're about to save the elevator, and his captain says, "What's going to stop uh the elevator?" And he says, "The basement." Yeah. And he nails that. Yeah. He nailed it. I mean, this was his first foray into action, really. Yeah. I mean, for a a star that we associate with the genre that much, he actually hasn't made that many action movies. He just happened to be a part of two of the biggest action franchises of all time in The Matrix and John Wick. But he doesn't do it that much. He's way more of a dramatic indie actor than he is. You just look through his IMDb and and you're like, God, I didn't know he was in that movie. Yeah. I never expected him to be in that movie. But then you start thinking about it, like, why would I not expect him to be in that movie? Yeah. It's it's a it's a good pick, Aiden. Um, my number eight uh, is a film called American Graffiti. Ooh. It is sort of the original uh, night before a bunch of high schoolers leave for college. This is a Y genre that kind of has one movie for every generation. American Graffiti, Days and Confused in the '90s, Super Bad in the O's, the 2000s, and then uh, Booksmart in the 2010s, probably, Mm -hmm. which is the one that you and I grew up with. Um, This this movie, uh, I I was surprised by how how much I enjoyed it for being a movie made in the 70s. About the 60s. About the 60s. But I I, I thought, and and it's essentially, you know, it's four separate stories that you're following the whole time. I think three of them are really good. I think Richard Dreyfuss is incredible in this movie. Um, even if you don't buy at all that this is a 17-year-old who's about to go off to college. Um, I think he's really, really good in it. Um, it it's crazy to see to see Harrison Ford in this small of a role, you know? Like, mm-hmm. pre-before, this is even pre-Indiana Jones, pre-Han Solo. Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he is great. Paul Lamette, uh was was fantastic in it. Little Ron Howard, Ronnie Howard, as they Ronnie say Howard. in the in, in the credits, you know, just playing one of the truly worst boyfriends in the world, in the history of boyfriends. Uh, his character is an awful human being in this. I, whenever we talk, and that's our dog barking in the background, by the way, just for you guys. Yeah. Fun for that. Um, we t- all, all of these movies have the simple concept of, am I going to go off? Am I going to go out into the world? Do I want to leave behind the teen that I am? Um, and this and this movie has it too, but but I was just really surprised by how much I loved that. Question: Do you like this more than Star Wars? Um. Wow. Good question. I think I like this one more than the first Star Wars. I think. I, it's really hard though to kind of to kind of compare them. It's also I I uh, a very confusing like. George Lucas did direct this movie. His career is just very weird to me. He yeah. makes the most successful movie franchise of all time, but didn't really do much outside of that. And then he's able... He, he This film's very well directed. It, there's music constantly playing in the background. There's not a single scene where I don't think a song is playing. Because most of this movie is people in cars driving to different locations. Yeah. So there's a lot of music playing in the background. I, I just really liked American Graffiti. All right, Dan, what's your number seven? Okay. I don't, know, I don't know if this is a controversial pick, but my number seven is The Breakfast Club. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so you could make the argument that this is the most iconic all-in-one-day movie, like, of all time. Because I feel like it feels like everybody knows this movie. You know, at least everybody yes. knows that final shot. But, yes. like, this really might be the definition of an all-in-one-day movie. Because it is in the morning. All in six hours. All maybe. in the span of six hours. Or eight hours, yeah. rather. 
but my god, this is just way too good. This is this is this should have not worked as well as it probably should have because it's just five people kind of just hanging around in a the biggest library in the history of the world. The nicest library in the history of the public education system. Yeah. It's it's so smart in a lot of ways, you know? Just like it feels like you're just watching teenagers talk to one another. And there's a lot of things. Like I haven't rewatched it in a little bit, but I remember like kind of the scene of the movie when they're sitting on the floor talking. Mm-hmm. That goes on for a while. It does. It's the climax of the movie. It's and the it's just a bunch of, of people on the floor talking to each other. It's one of those things where like in the moment I didn't realize that that was the climax of the movie and then it's only looking back on it that you're like, "Oh yeah, that is mm-hmm. the climax of the movie." And I mean, everybody's just so good in it. There's a lot of like overacting moments in it, but they yeah. work in really weird ways. Yeah. I mean, I I was I was debating whether or not to have this movie on my list because I do agree with you. It is it's obviously one of the most iconic movies of all time, yeah. and I, it, it's a play. You know, it's yeah. just a play. Like you even think about all of the scenes, like as fun as watching them run around the hallway, Scooby Doo style is. You could cut that out, you know, and it's literally just them in this library together. The first act is silent. Mm-hmm. The first act is just them looking at each other. And it's really crazy that John Hughes made this movie because he was he wasn't necessarily John Hughes yet at this point in his career, but he had made Vacation before this, which was a pretty successful movie. So for him to go from that to this teen indie, I can't, I don't know what the budget was, but I can't imagine it had to be that expansive. Yeah. Do you think John Hughes is like the king of the all-in-one day movie? Or at least the movie in a short time span? Because it's this, Ferris Bueller, and Pretty in Pink, I think, are like his trilogy of that. Well, I don't want to spoil another entry on my list. Sixteen Candles, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, his his movies, for the most part, are about nothing, you yeah. know, and this movie is is the perfect example of that. I, I the, the fact that this movie has aged as well as it has, and that we're not kind of rolling our eyes around the idea that these five people are so um, put in their own boxes yeah. that they've seemingly made for themselves, and the idea that there's no way they could interact because she's the popular one and he's the nerd. Yeah. Um, the fact that we're not rolling our eyes on that, however many years later, is pretty impressive. Yeah. And yeah, you look at that scene that you're talking about with them sitting on the floor, and all of them have their moment. Like all of them, uh, all of them do have not their, you know, their moment of reckoning or um, their, their "Hey, look at me, I'm acting over here" yeah. moment, um, which is super. Yeah, it's super impressive. I I love the Breakfast Club. Yeah, I honestly didn't put it on my list because I didn't. I can't say breakfast correctly. Mm, I think I missed it too. So I didn't. I didn't want to have to repeat it over and over again. I think that's one of the main reasons why I put it on here. Who's your favorite performance in this movie? This is like a very subtle, like Molly Ringwald. I, I feel like if you make this movie now, a lot of people go more Valley Girl with that. Yeah, it's definitely a blonde who's doing like an LA girl impression, mm-hmm. and she's a very specific version of um yeah of the the princess. Yeah, I don't know all of them. Yeah, they're all pretty I'm good. I'm just gonna say all of them. Um. Okay. So that was your number seven. My number seven is a film called After Hours. This is one of uh, the first Martin Scorsese movies. This is back when you didn't need $200 million in three and a half hours to tell a story, to make a movie. He uh, just needed, I believe this movie's like an hour 37. Um, and it is about a, a, a gentleman who is having the worst night <laughs> in, in the history of nights, played by Griffin Dunn who I had never seen in a movie before and I thought was giving an exceptional performance in this. Um, What's so great, this uses the all-in-one-day trope to its advantage, Um, being referenced multiple times that he's having the worst night ever and a series of events, everything happening after the next thing because of the thing that happened before it, which is also one aspect of this that I really love. It's not done a lot, but when it when it works, when it I think works, it really really works here. Um, so like I said, Griffin Dunn giving an incredible performance. Rosanna Arquette is like on fire in this movie. Like she's so good in this. And this was early Scorsese when he was able to get these types of performances, whether it's out of Rosanna Arquette in this movie or Cybill Shepherd in Taxi Driver. He was he was able to do it yeah. where they're not super flashy performances. I wouldn't say they're necessarily the most memorable characters in the world, especially within their own movie. But they're so good. And, you know, he has this. This was his view of of New York back then, which is this is the worst place in the world to live. This is garbage land. This is awful, especially at night. Every movie he made early in his career that took place in New York was like 
he just assumed it was it just felt like vietnam in a lot of ways yeah like this is hell like why why do these people live here it, 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 yeah, it, it's certainly, and it's not in New York that you and I have ever known. I mean, no, New York has yeah. always been this magical it wonderland. It seems also like us. he's changed his views on it. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, although he had, I guess Wolf of Wall Street was the last one, right? Yeah. That he, he really also, uh, made a documentary series on Netflix called. Prime oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. You're right. Um. Th- th- this is really good. I-, I think that this is kind of where I wonder. I, I don't know, this, this is kind of the perfect encapsulation of early Scorsese when he was just making these mm-hmm. weird, experimental, sort of indie-feeling movies. Yeah. That inspired were inspired by French New Wave. That were inspired by French New Wave. He wasn't, you know, now he's picking these books most of the time, and they're really, they're kind of high concept when you really think about it. Um, and and these, were, these were very simple movies with very simple premises, and I really enjoyed After Hours. So what is your number six, Aiden? My number six training day okay so this is my number four is training day this is our first uh one that's on the same list this is our first shared movie on the list i just i don't think i'm ever fully gonna forget the first time i watched training day because i didn't fully know i knew what the movie was about but i didn't know what the movie was which and there's a huge difference between the two of them and by the end of it i felt weird you know Mm that final 20 minutes i was like gripping the edge of my seat Literally, like not figuratively. It right. was so intense. I thought that Ethan Hawke was going to die, mm-hmm. in all honesty. And like, spoiler. Spoiler. Spoiler warning. Sorry. Uh, it's just. I know that it's uh, in every way, shape, or form. Shape and form. It's the Denzel show. And he's incredible in it. It's, it might be my favorite performance from him. He's just super intense, mm-hmm. very frightening, but he needs to have that charisma to him. Of like, yeah, I get why I would still hang around you. And he does bring that. Mm-hmm. You know, he brings this, not like ability, but enthusiasm to such a horrific psychopath. But Ethan Hawke as well is just incredible in it. Because he's just like kind of the reactor to everything. But it's not like Jason Bateman in Arrested Development, where he's no. like the straight man. Not, it's, yeah. it's like he's horrified at everything that is happening. Um, so I don't know that this was the first all-in-one-day movie I ever saw, but I think it was the first one where I certainly realized the, uh, expansiveness of it, and, um, just thinking about all of the things that occur to this, this poor guy in one single day. Um, the Denzel Washington performance, it might have been the first one that I ever saw from him, and this is why I just assume this is kind of what Denzel Washington might be like in real life in terms of the intimidation mm-hmm. factor. This is why I would never want to interview Denzel Washington because I feel like I would be at that opening uh, scene in the cafe. Oh, dude, I, that's I insane. feel like I would kind of be like that and I would um, I, w- I would just be super intimidated the whole time. What, what I love about this movie is a couple of things. I think it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, L.A. movie. I think the way Antoine Foucault uh, sh- uh, shoots LA in this movie is both um, very dirty in the same way that mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese shoots New York in the yeah. 70s, um, but also sort of this magical place almost at the beginning. Yeah. Incredible soundtrack. I think the Dr. Dre needle yeah. drop in this is one of my favorite needle drops in, in the history of cinema. It's, like it's the really best good. Use of it. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And uh, you're right. I mean, Denzel Washington obviously giving the performance of a lifetime in this, but Ethan Hawke is just as important in yes. this movie. And I feel like a lot of people have come around to that and finally are, are kind of giving him the credit that he deserves for this, for being... I mean, he's terrified the whole he's time. Terrified. I mean, you think yeah. about that that incredible scene when he's playing poker with the guys and his slow realization Dude. that he's been left to dry and looking out the window... And then sits back down. And then sits back down. Because he knows down. that he can't leave. He knows he's screwed. He knows he may very well die in that yeah. scene, and it's in, it's incredible, you know. And the dialogue too in this movie is just mm-hmm. so great because, like the the scene where Denzel Washington is trying to get him to uh, I forgot like what kind of drug it was, but for him to take that drug, PCP. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. Yeah, because like 
he's he's like if you don't do this just get out of the car right now well this guy is this guy is horrified that like that is sort of the point he puts a gun on him he puts a gun gun to to his head and this guy can't leave this is his job he he's on he's on a training day so he can't leave but the last the last act of this movie should has no reason to be as good as it is Mm -hmm. but it is from that to him confronting denzel washington in in the apartment to their fight to donkey kong and got nothing on me it's it's all incredible it's I don't know what else to say. It's one of those movies where I always want to have a conversation about it, but I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it'll it it it, it brought a really incredible duo in both Denzel Washington and yeah. Ethan Hawke. Um, my number six, a very opposite movie from that. My number six is a film called uh, The Day Trippers. This is from the same director of Superbad. Um. And was a film released in 1996. It is essentially about a woman played by Hope Davis who begins to suspect that her husband, played by Stanley Tucci, is having an affair. And so her her parents, her sister, played by Parker Posey, and her sister's boyfriend, played by Liev Schreiber, hop in a car and go to New York City where Tucci's office is and sort of just follow him throughout the day to see whether or not he's having an affair. And it's it's a mix of this incredible indie run that happened in the late 90s including empire records which you know just comes out a year before this movie but it's mainly just about a bunch of people in the car talking together which most of these you know a lot of these movies are about people talking to each other you can't have a too high concept of a movie yeah in the in like one day well you can i mean escape from new york is in this category too but that's almost one where the the 24 hour period is so important to that movie this one it's not they didn't need to be out in new york for an entire day waiting for him um but they are hope dave like the whole cast is absolutely incredible but you know specifically when you get hope davis parker posey and Liev driver together this group of like new york actors that i think could have gone on to incredible success if they didn't decide maybe to do theater most of the time and Tucci's put in that mix too um this is great because um I think a lot of people are just uh hoping that succession just continues to hire New York theater actors (laughs) so we get like um Stanley Tucci or like Josh Hamilton next season as guest stars Mm -hmm. um it, it's just an incredible movie that keeps you entertained. It's not that long. It's only like 85 minutes, but it's easy for these movies with seemingly no plot and just people talking to kind of lose your attention. Yeah. And so for it to retain your attention the whole time uh, is is pretty incredible. I, I really like this movie, The Day Trippers. So that's my number six. Okay. My number five is Dog Day Afternoon. This is my number five as well that's kind of crazy let's go that's insane that's kind of crazy okay yeah go ahead i'll let you cook because you can cook on this movie i mean i don't know if i can cook for that long but it's just i think maybe the perfect movie for the era it was made in of these huge uh like some of the most influential directors of their time making a really simple movie that will stand the test of time forever it is going I don't think that it's ever gonna age poorly. It just it just it's insane. It really could come out now. It's not dated in any way. It's representation of the media and how we look at criminals is like it sucks that it's relevant still, mm-hmm. you know? And there's not a dull moment in this. It's over two hours long and I was never bored in any moment of it. It is quite possibly the richest dialogue that i've ever seen in a movie because it a lot of the movie is just people talking in a bank because they have to kill time Mm -hmm. that's kind of what the movie feels like they have to kill time unless al pacino has to go outside and try to negotiate something but other than that they have to just do something for a day so the first half of this movie is a comedy yeah the first half of it is like maybe one of my favorite comedies of all time because everything that goes wrong everything that can go wrong just goes wrong that's the that's genius um 
that's the tagline of the first half. I think that's what the first half was made for. And then the second half is a drama in reaction to everything yeah. that went bad it's, in the first half. The first half is what you wanted. The second half is what you didn't know you needed. Uh, and and the second half especially is just talking. Yes. Because they are all... Because now, th- there's now there's no there, going there's back. There's no turning back. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's basically the realization of what's happened, what's been done, and the future, and, and yeah. grappling with it. We've talked about that incredible 10-minute scene where Al Pacino uh, is, is on the phone with, with his wife, and it's, it's incredible because it goes so on for, you know, 10, so 10 minutes. I didn't realize it. I think yeah. when we were talking about it yesterday, you said it was eight minutes in when I realized that this had been going on for eight minutes. That's exactly what I was feeling. Yeah, it was. It I mean, is so phenomenal. Like, they're, it feels like just two people talking to each other. They're talking about one thing, and then they slightly bring up something else, and then they have an argument about that. Yep, it's phenomenal. This is kind of the the pinnacle of I think Al Pacino. It's I think my favorite performance from him. The, my, mine too. I think that this is the first this is this is the pinnacle of the first half of his career mm-hmm. and this is what made him so good and such an eye popping actor yeah. this unconventionally handsome individual who can do who can the comedy very loudly who can scream also, very loud he's a pretty good physical comedian in this when he's sliding he is i mean this is such a tough performance to pull off because this guy isn't a bad guy you know like at the beginning he waits for the mom with the kid in the stroller to leave before he starts the bank robbing Mm -hmm. and then the way he treats all of the people he wants to make sure nobody gets hurt that was his plan going in he does care about john kazale's character sal like he does want to make sure that he gets out of this alive what was their plan they were going to go to like they were gonna get on the plane and go to what was it? I can't remember the country now. I remember him saying that he wanted to go to Wyoming, and Al Pacino <laughs> saying that that's not a country. Um, I forgot about that. But and then there is this certain level of of um. It's a weird family movie. It like, is. It, it yeah. really does feel like, in some ways, it's about kind of just two brothers mm-hmm. just trying to get out of. I think it was Barbados. Yeah, maybe it was. I mean, this this is. This is the pinnacle, I think, of his his ability. And before he went into the hoo-ha, son of a woman, overacting, that he became no, known for, and I think kind of put him in a box a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think he was... I, a lot of people have thrown out the theories that he was just tired of not getting recognized by any awards bodies. And this is what he was seeing people do when they were getting yeah. recognized, so maybe he should just do it. We haven't really seen... a subtle performance like this since godfather part three maybe was his last one maybe yeah you want to know who is uh also up for the role of dog day afternoon robert de niro no oh who dustin hoffman oh that makes sense yeah. it's actually kind of crazy that hoffman didn't get it this is yeah i could definitely see that was it was the most 70s like statement yeah dustin hoffman was almost in this movie he was I almost think, in every movie he almost up for every movie i was about to say i mean i couldn't see him doing it though i no, couldn't see him he doing couldn't pull off like certain things he couldn't pull because like al pacino has just a great sense of what am i going to do next or what is happening right now mm-hmm. like the when he's being interviewed yes just like this and him pointing to the TV and saying, that's me. That's the thing. Like He's I, kind of a child in the movie. He's that's kind it. kind of like an optimistic child. Like Dustin Hoffman, a lot of the Dustin Hoffman characters are these are these kind of like punchable guys. Like you just kind yeah. of want to punch him in the face a little bit. Especially in All the President's Men. Yeah. And I don't think he could have done. I think if he plays it, you actually envision him as a bank robber and not yeah. a guy Who's just in an unfortunate situation. In an unfortunate situation at kind of a lowest low. Yeah. And that that last act, the climax of the movie. Well, we were so talking insane. about it. Like, none of us knew, neither one of us knew how the movie yeah, was going to end. I only knew end. the first half of the movie. I thought that that was the and movie. And that's and very that rare for these really old movies, for us not to know how they end yeah. at this point. And, so. oh, man. He, Al Pacino is just so good in those last few moments. Yeah. For just... 
Yeah. He's, he's great. Uh, how, like, at the end, like, the way he captures everybody just sweaty mm-hmm. and tired and fatigued. Sidney Lumet directed this. It's such also a claustrophobic it. movie. Because mm-hmm. it's, like, it's almost all, like, close-ups most of the time. It's just close-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that was both of our number fives. So why don't you go to your number four? My number four is Die Hard. Okay, this is my number two is Die Hard. Oh, okay. Um, it's Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why this is kind of like the go-to joke in any sitcom for like the main guy to just be obsessed with this movie. It's because it's awesome. It's if just... it was more realistic, I think Heat would probably be a more realistic choice. But yeah, Die Hard <laughs> is, is also there. Well, it's just... I don't. I honestly feel as though we haven't talked enough about how Die Hard changed the game for action movies. I don't think we've brought that up enough because it really did. This came out in a time where Stallone and Arnold were the biggest people in the world, and every character they played was like an invincible machine who could, like, destroy a car. Bruce Willis is just a guy in this movie. He's just a guy. He has no shoes, yep. which is a really weird detail on the surface, the fact that he doesn't have any shoes. And then you get to the scene where he has to run through the glass, and you're like, he's just a guy. Yeah, he's, he's not, not invincible. particularly handsome. He's balding. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not built. He's not built. He looks tired all the time. He's not... He's a chronic smoker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's He's so good in this movie. It's kind of ridiculous the fact that he didn't get an Oscar nomination. I honestly Ooh. feel as though. Okay. Ooh. But the one that is more ridiculous is Alan Rickman. Well, here's the thing. Like we t- we we talk about how like Denzel Washington kind of o- overshadows how good Ethan Hawke is in Training Day. Mm-hmm. I don't personally think that's the case in this movie. I don't think it's like Alan Rickman's greatness is overshadowing how great Bruce Willis is. Yeah. I think that this is probably the best Bruce Willis performance of all time. Not not a big Friends fan? Just three episodes in Friends? I mean, I guess he did win an Emmy for his performance in Friends. I guess. So if you want to go that way. Um, I, I, yeah. I, so it's, it's probably my favorite Bruce Willis performance mm-hmm. of all time. Now, you look at the last 20 years of his career, and it's not like he's making up for that yeah. in any way. Um, it's really like we talk about Nicolas Cage shows up if you cut the check. Bruce Willis shows up if you cut the check. Yeah. If 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 it's there, he does it. But go ahead, continue. What was I saying? Alan you, Rickman. You were talking about a little actor named yeah, Alan. A little Rickman. actor named Alan Rickman. I this is uh, like at least in the top five of the greatest first performances by an actor of all time because this is one of the most iconic characters ever. Just the name Hans Gruber. Mm-hmm. Like, instantly recognizable, a very intimidating name, and he nailed every second he was on screen. This is another, he's another reason why this is, I think, one of the most influential action movies of the past few decades, is because he's not a mustache twirling guy. Yep. He's just a really smart guy. He's super smart. He's so intelligent, knows exactly what's going to happen. He's so quick in his remarks and just doesn't care about what happens but also wants to keep this as professional as possible you think about it he doesn't have a single dumb moment in the movie like bruce willis has plenty of dumb hero moments like not killing him Mm -hmm. when he pretends to be the american tourist but hans gruber such a good scene yeah no please no no. but but hans gruber doesn't have that like you're right and he it's just, I love movies and TV shows where the hero has to just outsmart the villain, and the villain doesn't have a dumbing down moment. It's just like, they have to just be just a little bit smarter than them. I love that. And he, he's a sellout, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the FBI asks him, just assumes that he wants, you know, uh, certain people released from certain parts of the country, this war lord to come out, yeah. and, and he just plays along with it. But he just wants money. He just That's wants all he wants. Money. Like he doesn't want anything. He kind of, it does. It doesn't. I never got the impression that he wanted to kill a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But he would do it. Like he gave uh, the boss a chance. Yes. But then was like, okay, whatever. 
so the moment he comes on screen, and it's not the exact moment, it's not his first scene. The first scene is him walking around. For whatever reason, he doesn't know what the guy looks like. I don't yeah. know how you don't do research on that beforehand. But when he's in the elevator, and he's whistling along to the song, and then he compliments he's, his yeah, suit. He's so confident. That's that's when it clicks, and, and you can't take your eyes off screen. It's it's Not only is it the greatest villain, maybe, of all time, it's one of the greatest characters of all time, yes. and one of the greatest performances of all time. It completely builds the movie for me that never stops moving. I know a lot of people complain about the first half up until Hans Gruber shows up on screen. Yeah. But all of it, it it's great when you rewatch it and you notice not the little things, like it's not like you're noticing the little things, but the way everything is being set up. Yes. And yeah. her changing her last name so Hans Gruber doesn't know she's a McLean. Yeah. And him having to take off his shoes. Like it's all actually rewarding upon rewatch when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um the the fact that every and you know the the kind of humor throughout the movie what is it the isn't it what are the two agents names i can't remember now and then johnson 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 and johnson no relation, no relation. like that the fact that everybody outside of this is is so dumb like the principal yes. the actor who played the principal in the breakfast club uh-huh. playing the chief of the LAPD shooting out the lights yeah just such an idiot multiple everyone's so stupid yeah everyone's so stupid there are multiple villains throughout the movie because yeah. you think about him is gruber it's weird, weird to say that i don't think gruber's the worst person in this movie i mean that news reporter is pretty bad i mean it's pretty awful come on and and yeah it, it's, just, it's a really it's good movie so insane that they made it in what was it 88 86 eight yeah yeah 88 i think 88 because it's like it's not flashy it's not a very flashy movie. There's a lot of blood in it. No. But like, well, they blow up a huge building. They blow I mean, up that's a huge kind of building. Flashy. That's also one of my favorite scenes because Bruce Willis is like, what am I doing? Yeah. When he's like tie, uh, tying the thing around him to jump off the building. It's just like, Jesus, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And, and it does, for the all in one day aspect of this, it does, um, it takes place within it a certain amount of hours. It takes place within a day. But, at the very end, he, he's got cuts all over him. He's dirty. He has his shirt off. His he's, feet are like, he's never going to be able to walk without a limp. Yeah. He's cut, he's cut like several nerves. The building has completely exploded. It, it, it does, it's a great how did we get here, you know, type yeah. of thing. I, I, I love it. It's great. It's, it's incredible. All right. So that was your, what was that? That was your number four. Was number four. Okay. My number four was training day. So we go to your number three. Okay. He's giving me a, a, a little a little story. Case. So when Connor was like, Hey, we should do this list. My original list, I had crazy. the before trilogy in one spot. He wanted to put three movies in one in one spot. I was like, No, no, doesn't count. You can't do that. So then it took me a little bit to figure out, well, which one do I like the most? But then again, that's when I started thinking, well, maybe I should consider the all-in-one-day aspect. Because even though all movies do take place in one day, I was like, which one, like, maybe fits the best in this category? And which one, and do I feel as though that might be my favorite? I still can't fully say that this is my favorite movie out of the trilogy, because I think they're all, like, perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. But my number three is Before Sunset. Okay. So my number three is Before Sunrise. Oh, man. This is gonna so be this is going to be a good debate between yeah. us. Let's go. Do you want to go first? Do you want to give your case first? You you can give your case first. So this is, of course, a trilogy uh, from Richard Linklater starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. They started making these in 95, right? That was when Before Sunrise yep. comes out. And they've made one every nine, year, nine years. Um, Before Sunri- Sunrise was the, was the first one. Um, what I love about this movie is that it is the innocence to it yes these uh, two yeah. characters meeting for the very first time and it doesn't it's a romance but it's also not really a romance because mm-hmm. it this to me is the one that i think utilizes the all in one day the best where it really is just people talking from the sunrise to the sunset yeah. and the next day and getting to know each other but also laying out their hopes and dreams that um all people young people in their late 20s usually have and the innocence around that, I think, is what really holds the movie together for me. And I think that that's kind of what separates it from the others before Sunset being really a, a romantic 
movie, like down to the final scene, which falls under every um, rom-com, you know, uh, uh, quote-unquote cliche in the book. But go ahead, make your case for Before Sunset. I think that this, I honestly think that this utilizes the uh, all-in-one-day aspect better, because this is in real time. There's certainly more that happens in this movie, yeah. The movie is an hour and 20 minutes, and the story takes place within an hour and 20 minutes. It is like one of those things where I just like this shot has been going on for 11 minutes and I didn't notice it until just now. And it's just such a, it's surprisingly beautiful. I think that maybe before uh, sunrise uses, uh, where do they go again? Venice, Venice, yes. Venice. It might like, it uses the landscape. It uses more. the landscape. Well, the beginning more, is but... just a bunch of, you know, cuts. The opening credits is yeah. just a bunch of cuts but of I the scenery. But I think before Sunset uses the city a little bit better in terms of, like, the transportation that they use. One of my favorite scenes is the boat scene. Mm-hmm. Where they're, like, it's one of the first times they're really just having a heart-to-heart. Yep. Like, Which is weird until... to say in these movies. I know. But... but up until that, it's just, like, them catching up. And that's, like, the first time Julie Deffley is, like, asking him a, a question. Yeah. A, a serious question. Which is question. so common in the first one. Yeah. But it's, just, I just love, I love all the movies so much. Me too, me too. I, I honestly felt kind of weird for not like putting in before midnight. In all honesty, because even though that is the toughest movie right. to watch out of the trilogy, it definitely kind of feels like the most rewarding because it does feel like the end of an era. But it I, does. Like I, I don't think they're gonna make another one. I think that I that'll kinda, probably be the last one. I kind of hope they don't. But then again, if they do, I'll be so excited. We yeah. could just be like. It can be literally nothing. It can be just them hanging out. And well, that's so what angry. all of the movies are. I mean, Before Midnight, I, they all follow... Before Sunrise is about the hopefulness and innocence of youth. And then Before Sunset kind, kind of, like of shows... What could be. Yeah, Before Sunset is kind of like what could be. And then the fact that they're, they're kind of on different levels in terms of where they want to be in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then Before Midnight is part midlife crisis, part is this really what I wanted to do an examination of where you're at in your forties? And that's why that one is so tough. Um, Because, you know, it it really, it doesn't make you re-examine Ethan's Hawk's character in the other two. Cause like I said, I think it's just the transition that people go through in their life. Um, But him during that fight scene that they have really makes you think, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think everybody has a different favorite film of these three. Like, I don't yeah. think there's a general consensus that people have that one is better than the other. Yeah, it definitely doesn't feel that way. Yeah. But I just, I just love, I love the final line so much before sunset. Oh, before sunset. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty good final line. Um, all right. So that was, so my number three was before sunrise. So now you're number two. Feel weird for saying this. Once again, I went about it being like, which one utilizes the all-in-one-day aspect mm-hmm. the best? My number two is do the right thing. Okay. I feel really stupid for not putting this at number one because do the right thing is like in like the top fifteen of the greatest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's just nothing wrong with this movie. I watched this when I was quarantined, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure was the. Uh, I think when honestly, you had COVID, not yeah. when you had like yeah. polio or anything like that. Yeah. Which honestly was maybe the best way to watch it because I needed a solid two hours to just re-examine the movie. You needed to pick me up and you were like, do the right thing. Give me that. Yeah. I didn't fully know what I was getting myself into when I started it. And then by the time uh, the slur montage mm-hmm. is when I was like, I, I'm not even going to like, if I have to use the bathroom, I'm not going to. And I did have to use the bathroom a lot by the end of the movie but that last half an hour you can't blink mm-hmm. like I, I it's so unnerving and exhausting you feel sick by the end of it you yep. feel wrong it's a tough movie to watch it's a really tough movie to watch but it is also like one of the most interesting looks at racism that i've ever seen in a movie because it's just looks at the point of views from everybody, which you don't see a whole lot. This is also before Spike Lee had the ability to to 
and all directors go through this before they have the ability to do whatever they want mm -hmm. in their movies. And up to this point, he had just been making indie movies. He made School Days. Was Clockers before this? No, the only two movies he made was She's Gotta Have It and School Days. Okay. And then he made this. And then he made this one. And um, so it's before, like, we talk about, like, I loved Black Klansmen, but there is, like, stretches where you're like all right spike lee may have gotten in his own way here a little bit you yeah. could probably cut this down and you can't really do it's say a, any of that yeah, and do it, the right do thing. The right thing is a perfectly timed movie yeah it's it needed to be two hours not a single i don't think there's a bad scene in this movie i think every scene has a reason to be there and the movie is just such a interesting trip because there are some really interesting shots in this movie yeah. because i don't know how but they perfectly utilize like it's the hottest day of the year yep everybody's and sweating everybody is sweating their clothes are sticking to them yep. which is like stains all over so it's so gross and like the you can see just the steam coming off of like the cement and you're like okay that's i don't know why they're uh i don't know why this has to take place on the hottest day of the year and then you look back on the movie and it's like yeah, it needed to because that was the boiling point. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy to think that it came out in '89. Yeah, that this and it was clear that Hollywood wasn't ready for no it. That the world ready for it. wasn't no ready, one was for, ready it. for it. Yeah, it's certain. And then you know, it's interesting because you look at the movies he makes after this, and they're not. There's so much more genre. Like yeah. he kind of dips his toe, tries to dips his dip his toes into every different genre. Um, and this one is is so personal. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good it's, pick. Yeah. The dialogue, too, is something that really stuck out to me because every argument, pretty much every argument in the movie, like, I can, they're both kind of right. Like, one of my favorite scenes is at the end after uh, the pizza shop burned down and Spike Lee and Sal are arguing. And Spike, <clears throat> my voice is killing me right now. It's I'm sorry. Up. Spike Lee is like, you said you would pay me. I know this is a terrible time, but you have to pay me. And so I was like, my restaurant just burned down, and you're asking me about this. I just think that that's incredible because you can see it from both of their perspectives. And it's so – I haven't seen many other movies try to do that. It's mm -hmm. so interesting, the fact that he went about that route at yeah. that point in time. Yeah. it's. I mean, I remember watching, yeah, the, the final – final act of the movie and yeah like you said being sick to your stomach and 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 just feeling so anxious and, mm -hmm. and anxiety ridden um it's a good pick my number two was die hard so now we go to your number one what you think is the greatest all in one day film uh the exact opposite of what do the right thing is and that's first bueller's day off this is crazy. I also have Ferris Bueller's Day Off as number one. Get out of here. So we pretty much had like the same the top same five for the yeah. most part, which doesn't make for a very entertaining list. But yeah. Okay. It's. Do you want to start? You go ahead. You know, I, when I first watched the movie, I was like, oh, what a, what a fun, enjoyable movie. And then as time went on, I didn't see it for a while. And I was like, am I sure that I don't remember what lot that happened in that movie. And then it was about a month ago. It was on TV at the beginning, and I watched it. It still holds up remarkably well. And I think quite possibly uses the all-in-one-day aspect the best out of any movie because it is all in the day. Yep. It doesn't even get to, like, 5 o'clock. It doesn't get to the evening. Yeah. It all takes place within the most eventful six hours of any human being's life. Six hours that is too much happens. Yep. They do way too much in that span of time, but... It's so good. Well, I was going to say they do too much in that time, but I think it's kind of at least realistic the things that they do in that time. Like I Yeah, you do kind of get like the layout of the city. Could like, it have, doesn't fully yeah. feel like heat where he's going from one end of the city to the other end in 2 seconds. Yeah, right. Um like I think you could feasibly do maybe all this, maybe not in the 6-hour time span, mm -hmm. but it's something like you 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 look at something like the Breakfast Club and it's like well, I don't know if any teens have actually had this much heart-to-heart -heart before yeah. in their entire lives. Um, I, I, I honestly think Matthew Broderick and Alan Ruck should have been Oscar-nominated for their performances. Probably should have been, yeah. Obviously, Ferris Bueller has become one of the most iconic characters in the history of cinema. Just the name is yeah. so cool. 
and come up with that cool of a name his charisma in this movie now i actually i think a lot of people are disappointed by the the trajectory that matthew broderick's career took after this mm-hmm. i actually like anytime matthew broderick shows up in something i i think he's really good in it yeah. and he can make me laugh a lot um but like alan ruck's performance is as cameron is yeah. like really really he's good in this so movie good in this movie yeah it's insane because he's like definitely Matthew Roger kind of feels like a cartoon character. He does in a yes. lot of ways. He's just like the idea of the coolest teenager in the yep. world. Alan Ruck is just what a teenager actually is. Yeah, in a very crappy situation with his family life, and has just a friend that is the exact opposite. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. It, the 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 music used for, throughout. Yeah, it's a great soundtrack, but also has really great no music mm-hmm. moments in it. And this is kind of, and another part about the genre is that these movies can can almost be like adventure movies in that we have to go to this place and do this thing. Now we have to go to this place and do this thing. Now we have to go to this place and do this thing. And this this is the best example of that type of movie happening. Whereas there are some other movies that do that, and it doesn't really work that well, I think, to the benefit of the movie. But uh, yeah, this is this is great. This is also his most Chicago movie John Hughes has ever made. Like yeah. all of his movies take place in Chicago, but this one is in Chicago. It's a, it feels like kind of a love letter to Chicago. Yeah, like, it does. A hefty amount of the movie is just B-roll shots of Chicago, and it kind of just makes you go. Maybe I should live in Chicago. Like, I think Home Alone is a love letter to the Chicago he was in, the mm-hmm. suburbs of it. Yeah. And then this is, like, the city. This is a love letter to the city. Yeah, absolutely. Also, like, this is a surprisingly funny movie. Like, I always mm-hmm. forget, like, how funny the movie is. When Alan Ruck is on the phone pretending to be Ferris's dad and talking to the principal, is really funny. Like, I don't know. How very it, funny it, i don't know how it works so well yeah but it's it's so great um yeah it's aged really well there uh-huh. aren't any like i don't think there's any like truly terrible stuff where you look at it and you're like yeah. oh that's that's awful looking back on it now yeah it's 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 a really good it's movie a really great movie also invented the post credit scene that's true and you know was at the time one of the big um uh breaking the fourth wall movies yeah with um with Ferris talking to the to the camera the whole time, um okay so that was our top ten. Do you have any honorable mentions that you maybe want to throw out there? I have uh two that I mainly want to throw out there. One of them I originally had on my list, but then I realized that it was kind of cheating. That's Groundhog Day. Yeah, I I, I, felt I don't weird putting it on there because yeah. it is technically all in one day. But that day lasts, what, 10,000 years? Yeah, something. like, I think it's a little weird to put it in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it is kind of cheating. Yeah, and my other one was Dr. Strangelove. I thought you were going to have Dr. Strangelove in there. One of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I got to rewatch it again, because I know that there are, like, 100 jokes that I just missed the first time. It's one of the greatest atmospheres of a movie ever. There's no score. Like, the you hear every echo that's in the war room. It's so it's such an unnerving movie. Yeah, like it's makes you feel really weird. And yeah, it's just incredible. It's definitely Kubrick at his most fun and quote unquote lighthearted. It's the only comedy he made, right? It's yeah, it's kind of the only straightforward comedy he ever made. But absolutely incredible. Um, so some that I just wanted to throw out there. So um, A twenty four made this movie called Free Fire. Starring um, Brie Larson, Killian Murphy, and yes, Army Hammer. Um, it, it was a movie, uh, it, it was kind of one of the first, not only all one day movies, but like one of the first really like play movies I ever saw, because it really does just take place in this empty warehouse. Um, really enjoyed that. In the same way you're talking about, it feels kind of uh, cheating to put Groundhog Day in there. I think it might be kind of cheating to put I'm Thinking of Ending Things in there. I do think that that's cheating. Yeah, because it does. Um, uh, Technically, yes. Kind of no, though. It doesn't feel like it. Certainly, it literally jumps back and forth in time. It does, but it's still supposed. To, it's still in the parameters of this one day. 
um, the Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not count Reservoir Dogs because there's too much of it that takes place with Tim Roth's backstory, like and everything before the heist, mm-hmm. how the heist started. But the Hateful Eight, I do think, does count. I've always really sense. enjoyed that movie, even if there's way too many shots of just um snow that Quentin Tarantino put in yeah, there. It's way too long. I think it's way too long. It, you you can cut a lot of it. Um, uh, Shiva Baby. This I think was yeah. recency bias. I was gonna put this in there, but this movie literally just came out this year. Yeah. But um, and it's you, you don't really notice that it's all in one day just because you're so entrenched in the story mm-hmm. and everything that's happening. You're too busy having a panic attack, like she is. Exactly. But really enjoyed that movie. Friday. Um, I I initially did have that at number ten, mm-hmm. and then put Texas Chainsaw Massacre in instead. But that movie, for it, for me seeing it 27 years later, it being a straight comedy and making me laugh as much as it did, I think is really impressive. Halloween, we didn't talk about. I mean, I felt really weird not putting it on there. Even though I, the reason I put Texas Chainsaw over Halloween was because um, Halloween does have the, the flashback 20 years earlier. Yeah. And then Donald Pleasance, um, to pick up the man he states is a true psychopath, bringing this one nurse the night before, a single nurse. Yeah. To bring the man who who he does a whole monologue about the evil the in his evil. eyes. I watched that man for fifteen years. Yep. He always <laughs> stared at a wall. Um and then there was one more I wanted to talk about. I just saw Oh, and then um Jeff Who Lives at Home, which is um a, a film by the Duplass brothers starring Jason Siegel and Ed Helms. And I think it's kind of a tribute to the day trippers in a lot of way. Um basically following Ed Helms' his wife, who they believe is having an affair. So um, all of those movies I, I really enjoyed, but not as much as the 10 that I had on my list. Any else? I'm looking at a list here. Halloween Town, all in one day. Halloween Town. You want to put that, Halloween Town in there? It's probably in my list. Twitches. Did you ever watch Twitches? I 16... watched Twitches scared me. Twitches yeah. was like a horrifying The movie. second um, Twitches scared me for whatever reason, and I don't know why. I don't remember anything about Twitches 2 except for one scene that really scared me. 16 Wishes. I hated that movie. You hated that movie? I hated what? that movie. I what? honestly feel as though that's kind of cheating because she wishes that she was uh, an well, adult. Well, that's true. And then it flashes forward. But it's on the same day. It's 20 years on that day ahead. You're right, though. That is kind of cheating. I can't believe that much of the movie takes is is that plot. It's it's way too long. Um, any other ones you want to throw out there? Not that I can think of. I think that's it. Yeah. So um, oh, and Dazed and Confused was probably the other one we should have talked yeah. about. I had Linklater represented with my before trilogy, so I didn't necessarily. I I that's why I kind of chose American Graffiti over it. Um, thank you so much for listening to this edition of You Wouldn't Get It. Goodbye. Bye.